listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in grade nine, I made a plan for my life. I knew exactly where I wanted to go to school after high school, and I knew exactly what it would take to make that possible. Every decision I made over the next couple of years was part of the plan. I did all the right things, took advanced classes, agonized over every single grade, participated in as many extracurricular activities as was humanly possible, and then I did a few more. And then I wasn't accepted into my dream school. I didn't even make the shortlist, and I had no idea what to do next. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't be accepted, and so I had never thought about what I would do if that happened. I was surprised, and I don't like being surprised. And I was hurt, and I don't like being hurt. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do next. And while I hope I'm getting better at that, I really don't like not knowing what I'm supposed to do next. I've always found out that the best way for me to sort out my feelings is by walking. And so after I got the news that life wasn't going to work out the way I had planned, I took a lot of long walks in the woods behind our house, just me, my dog, and my thoughts. I didn't literally walk around with the Psalms in my pocket, but Psalm 43 is a pretty decent paraphrase of what I was thinking as I walked and walked and walked. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? That is how I felt. Cast off, rejected, and oppressed with a depth of feeling that only 16-year-old me could really have. This Wednesday night at our Anglicanism 101 series, I'm going to talk in more depth about my daily practice of praying the Psalms. But tonight I'll just highlight how grateful I am for the inclusion of songs like this one that speak exactly to the condition of feeling let down, attacked, and rejected. Sometimes when I pray a psalm like this, it is an exact reflection of how I am feeling, and the psalms help provide words when I have none. But sometimes when I get up and pray with the psalms like this one, they don't resonate with how I'm feeling at all. Thankfully, I don't wake up every single day feeling oppressed. I wake up every single day feeling grumpy, I'm not a morning person, annoyed, yes, but not oppressed. And on those days when I'm feeling better, and if I'm paying attention, I know there's someone who is feeling oppressed, and I can pray these words on their behalf. Or I know that I have certainly felt that way before, and I feel grateful that I don't feel that way in the present moment. Psalm 43 ends this way. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. I love that the psalmist doesn't expect us to move to the place of praise by the end of the psalm. The psalmist merely asks us to have hope that the way we are currently feeling is not the way we will always feel. We may feel there is no reason to praise God in this particular moment, and we don't have to pretend that we feel any way other than that. Rather, we can be honest about how we're feeling, holding on to the hope that we won't always feel that way. Now, despite my carefully crafted plans and best efforts, life isn't something that can be predicted or controlled. 
We can set a goal, put everything we have into meeting that goal, and not achieve it. We can apply for the dream job and not get it. We can think we know what's going to happen next, and we can be utterly surprised by the way things actually turn out. It hurt to find out I wasn't going to my dream school, and it left me shaken for a time. Thankfully, the experience hasn't stopped me from dreaming big and putting myself out there. Sometimes I'm successful, and sometimes I am not. And I hope I'm getting better at realizing that my value and my worth are not tied up in whether or not I am indeed successful. I hope that like the psalmist, when it seems that everyone is out to get me, I'm able to honor that that's how I feel. Be gentle with myself and hold on to the hope that there are better days yet to come. Our gospel reading for tonight could be described as a story of five successful and five unsuccessful bridesmaids. This story is a story, a parable meant to make a point. Jesus isn't reporting the events of an actual wedding he's attended recently. He's making up a story because he wants us to learn something. It's a story about a wedding, a wedding that has different customs than ones we're used to. Ten bridesmaids are invited to be part of this wedding, and as part of their role as bridesmaids, they're expected to wait at a specific place with lit lamps when the bridegroom arrives. And all ten are ready to fulfill their role. They all show up at the appointed time with lamps filled with oil. But something unexpected happens. The groom is delayed. He doesn't arrive on time, and so the ten women need to wait longer than expected. They need to wait long into the night for his arrival. And here is where we find out what distinguishes the bridesmaids that Jesus considers wise from the ones he calls foolish. Five bring extra oil, and Jesus says they are wise to do so. Five don't bring any extra and are called foolish. At first glance, it seems that the five women who bring the extra oil aren't wise. They're lucky, or maybe even uptight. Even though the groom has taken much longer to arrive than anyone expected, and they've been forced to wait for him late into the night, all the lamps are still burning. They are running out of oil, but they haven't run out yet. This implies that under normal circumstances, the lamps held enough oil for the wedding procession, and it wasn't necessary to bring extra along. The women whose lamps are burning out ask the women with the extra oil to share with them, but they refuse to help, so the foolish women have to leave and try to buy some oil. And while they're out shopping, the groom arrives, and everyone heads into the wedding feast, and they shut the door behind them. The foolish women, who under normal circumstances would have had enough oil and would have had no need to leave to purchase more, are late to the party. Now remember that Jesus is telling this story in order to explain something about the kingdom of God. When something is too large, too complicated, or too mysterious for us to comprehend, we often try to explain it by comparing it to something else. My love is like a red, red rose, for example. We know my love is not actually a red rose, but rather that something about our shared understanding of red roses provides insight into the nature of my love. In the same way, when we read this parable, we know that the kingdom of heaven must be like the wedding celebration Jesus is describing, but it is not a one-for-one comparison. The kingdom of heaven is not a wedding with ten bridesmaids. It's like a wedding with ten bridesmaids. The parable is meant to tell us something about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, but it doesn't tell us everything about it. A seminary professor of mine liked to say that all metaphors limp, or in the case of today's passage, all similes limp. 
The nature of similes is that in order to highlight one element of the thing they mean to explain, they can hide or muddle other elements. For example, my love may be like a red, red rose in that it is beautiful like a rose or precious like a rose, but I don't mean that my love is like a red, red rose full of thorns that will make you bleed and likely to die in a short period of time. If my goal is to swear my undying love to you, then the simile about the rose is helpful, but it limps. So what element of the kingdom of heaven is this parable trying to highlight, and what is it obscuring? Ten women are invited to be part of a wedding, and they all arrive at the appointed place with lamps filled with oil ready to fulfill their role. Five have a clear idea of how long they think a wedding is supposed to take, and they plan accordingly. Five are prepared for the possibility that things may take longer than expected and bring extra oil. Why would they do this? I wonder if the foolish women were foolish simply because they thought they knew how weddings worked. They thought they knew how long it would take and they planned according to that. And what is foolish about that? What is foolish about having a good understanding of a wedding and planning accordingly? I wonder if the point that Jesus is trying to make is this. Be prepared to be surprised. Don't think you know how it's all going to work out. Don't make plans according to how you expect things will happen because things may not happen the way you think. They may take a little longer. You may think you know exactly how your life is supposed to turn out. You may think you know exactly what university you're supposed to go to and just what it'll take to be accepted, and then you might not get in. Be prepared to be surprised. The Bible is full of stories of people who are surprised by Jesus and people who think they know exactly what a Messiah should be like. And Jesus is not what they're expecting. Some are willing to be surprised, and they see Jesus for who he is. Some remained so locked in their preconceived notions of what a Messiah should be that they don't recognize Jesus at all. In Jesus' day, as in ours, there are people who think they have the timeline figured out. They think they know what's going to happen next, and they're not prepared to be surprised. This happened when Jesus was alive, and it happened in the time period when these gospel narratives were being written down, and it continues to happen today. In the time when the Gospels were being written down, people were starting to realize that perhaps Jesus wasn't going to return in the next couple of days, and they might need to rethink a few things. They might need to start writing these stories about Jesus down before the people who remembered them were too old to keep telling them. They might need to start doing a little long-term planning. They might need to settle in for the long haul of history. They might need a little extra oil. They might need to be prepared to be surprised. And we might need that too. Now, what are we going to do with those troubling final verses? The verses where the foolish women pound on the door crying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the response they receive is, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Followed by Jesus' warning, keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Verses like this make me squirm. They're some of the first ones I'd cut if I could. You see, I know what it's like to be on the outside of the party looking in. And I'm sure that many of you have had the same experience. It's not a good feeling, and I don't want to have any part in making other people feel like they don't belong. So if I could just cut these verses out, I would. This week, as I was preparing, I thought, maybe I just won't mention that last bit. But then I wondered, what would happen if I let this text surprise me? And I started asking questions. What if the foolish women had decided to stick around even though their lamps were burning out? What if they had decided that just their presence was enough? 
What if they had decided that being present when the bridegroom arrived was more important than having it all together? I'd like to think they would have been welcomed, burnt out lamps and all. I think there's a decent amount of biblical evidence that they would have been welcomed to the party just as they were. Because I don't know if it's okay to go to a party without enough oil for your lamp, but I know that it's impossible to go to a party if you don't show up. Jesus is using this story to try and explain some things about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, but it's not a standalone story. It must be read in context. It must be read in the context of stories where Jesus says that God is like a shepherd who gets 99 sheep safely into the pen and is not content until he goes out and finds that one sheep that's missing. And God is like a woman who hunts for a coin until she finds it, and when she does, she wants to celebrate with everyone she knows. And this gospel needs to be read in the context of Jesus' promise earlier in Matthew. Ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And the women are knocking. So maybe this isn't the end of the story. Maybe the foolish women need a little more confidence in the bridegroom. Maybe they need to keep knocking. We can take a passage like today's gospel and wrestle with it and be prepared to be changed by that process, not with the discovery of an easy answer, but by the hard work of going, what on earth does this mean? We can be prepared to be surprised. We can keep knocking. We can pack a little extra oil for this journey. And we can remember that one of the things that Jesus is trying to tell us in today's gospel is that the kingdom of God is like a party. And it would be a shame if anyone for any reason thought they weren't invited to this party because we're all invited and it's going to be worth attending. So keep knocking, pack a little extra oil for the journey, and be prepared to be surprised along the way. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.